Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Just, the UK's first enforcement market integrator, and Aram, which has been helping organisations to prevent and resolve problem debt for over 25 years, with me, your host Steve Coppard. In this series, we'll be shining a light on issues that impact the debt industry by discussing topics as diverse as numeracy, illegal money lending and behavioural insights. It's time to grab a cuppa as we give credit where credit's due to our expert guests. For this episode, I visited the UK's only large-scale manufacturer of ceramic tiles in the Pottery's heartland of Stoke-on-Trent. Johnson Tiles has been in business since 1901. It truly is a jewel in the crown of British manufacturing history. And this may seem like a strange place to visit to record a podcast about debt, but I'd previously met the company's credit controller, Andy Hignett, in his capacity as the regional representative of the Chartered Institute of Credit Management, when he invited me to give a talk on the psychology of debt, a subject that we're both fascinated by. And as we continued chatting over the months, it became clear that business-to-business debt and individual debt share some striking similarities. This is largely because both involve people and their behaviours, attitudes and biases. So let's dive straight into the interview and find out more about Andy's expertise and experience in this area. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Andy. Andy, I should let you introduce yourself and we'll talk maybe a little bit as well about how we know each other. Yeah, um, my name is Andrew Hignett. I'm the credit control manager here at Johnson Tiles in Stoke-on-Trent and also the regional representative for the CICM uh, for the West Midlands area. You, you and I share uh, an interest in the psychology of debt. Yeah, the psychology of debt has struck me over the uh, 20-odd years that I've been within credit management field across different industries, different sectors, but increasingly the psychology of debt and how people handle it or don't handle it is uh, paramount important. One of the things that I was really interested in when we first spoke, Andy, is I, I don't do much with business-to-business debt, uh, much more on personal debt. And so to, to, to speak to you about actually some of the behaviours and drivers underneath business-to-business debt seem to come from the same place as personal debt. Absolutely. Over the years, I've seen you know, businesses with lots of policies and procedures in place, which is necessary and great. Um, but when those policies and procedures are influenced by individuals and individuals' characteristics in the way that they think and handle debt and finance, then that starts to skew the relationship within business-to-business finance as it will in personal finance. Uh, some of the attitudes have been literally from my first job of being given a pile of invoices to process for payment, but not being told to process them for payment, but physically being said, here's some invoices, find reasons not to pay them. That's, that's, that's quite outrageous really as well, isn't it? It is. Coming from a you know, financial controller of an organisation that I was employed by, it's like, really? In, a, in the business world, we do it the prompt payment code these days, uh, get, getting the bills paid on time is absolutely critical. Yeah, and uh, lots of company processes and, and things that I've mentioned will have the ability to pay people on time, providing all those invoices tick lots of boxes in their policies and procedures. As soon as you get to a stage where it can't process it, there's no purchase order number, there's no reference that you know the, the purchaser has requested, then it stops. So then you get the delay process. Not necessarily always out of you know, the desire to stop payment or prevent payment, but because the system doesn't, doesn't prevent that to, to, to happen. 
I was looking recently, um, both the, the Small Business Commissioner and the Chief Exec of the Child Institute for Credit Management, Sue Chappell, they, they've both been quite vocal about business-to-business -business debt and the, the prompt payment code. And, and one of them went as far to say, I won't tell you which one, you can go and find out. <laughs> um, but one of them said that a customer who doesn't pay you is not a customer, that they're, they're a, a, a thief. And I thought, well, that, that's that's really quite punchy. And, and I was quite pleased that they put it in those terms. So what's what's your, your experience of that? I suppose by definition, anyone who doesn't pay a debt that is owed without any query, then by definition, that is a theft. Um, they've taken goods or services and not paid for them uh, in the same way that someone, you know, breaking into your home and taking something that doesn't belong to them, that's not theirs until it's paid for. Um, that, I suppose, does stem from, you know, the ancient, look on debt going right back to the romans and greeks that you know, a debtor who doesn't pay is a thief and is treated accordingly how do people approach you because obviously in in your business people have like a i, I guess a, a credit limit for example there, there's an amount that you're willing to, to tolerate or, or or extend to them a line of credit we always say uh, for johnson's uh, that our credit limits whatever they are are at our discretion no matter what credit report we get for a particular company it's at our discretion. And I will soon find out, based on their behavior and payment performance, whether they're worthy of that credit limit that I've extended to them or whether they're not. So I always give them that caveat right from the word go. So they fully understand that you know, this is not a right that they're entitled to. I get quite a lot of customers say, I've got credit limits of X tens of thousand pounds elsewhere. That's their business, not ours. I only think they're worth so much. And if they prove me right, or even detrimentally, don't pay us on time, then I will reduce that credit limit even further. There's a there's a correlation there, isn't there, with your your credit cards? So you may have a five thousand pound limit, but you still have to pay a minimum amount every month. And absolutely, <clears throat> there does seem to be rather a strange. I've not come across it in you know nearly twenty years, but now I'm finding more customers saying, "Well, I've got a credit limit of tens of thousands of pounds, and you've put me on stop." Yeah, because these other invoices are now overdue. I'm not going to let you run up a £30,000 credit limit, which might take you three months before you even start to pay us. You've got to pay what's due, regardless of the limit. Goes back to, to the underlying thinking, doesn't it? That, that there's there's an entitlement to, to run that up and not pay the invoice on time because there's a facility that's been extended. Yeah, <clears throat> we have a mixture of customers here of you know, bigger corporations, um, but also um, smaller one-man band companies, um, customers that in all intents and purposes, are you know, self-employed. They might be limited companies, but eventually, effectively, they are one person doing a job, might have a few contractors. But they tend to think sometimes that the, you know, debt is the same in business as it is in personal life, and it's not. Well, it shouldn't be. I see that. I mean, I, I talk quite a lot about, you know, my, my, my sort of background that I, I, I'm very much a down the pub on a Friday night sort of person, and I drink with the tradespeople, and... Often you see, you know, people coming in with the, their cash in their pocket from their, their week's work. And is it business cash or is it personal cash? Because it's buying the beer. And is that, uh, then a, does that make it a business expense or how do we account for that? Because we're not getting receipts for each time. Yeah, <clears throat> we find it difficult to judge sometimes whether someone's paying by a corporate credit card or a personal credit card. Obviously, we can't charge for personal credit card uh, transaction fees anymore uh, for a number of years now. But that clause didn't extend to business. Uh, we can apply uh, a fee for transactional charges. 
And uh, we do point out to them that, you know, putting 20, 30,000 pounds on a corporate credit card is very expensive to us. Um, so we do sometimes say, look, enough's enough. If you haven't got the cash and you must pay on a credit card, if it's a corporate one, then you're going to pay a fee. And we're finding that more and more now, uh, particularly with the, uh, well, not just the smaller customers, a lot of them now are coming to me every month when they're due and saying, we haven't been paid, you know, we want to extend it or we can pay it on credit card. The number of credit card transactions that we get has probably trebled uh, in the last few months. So they've had a, had a credit account, so they've taken credit from us, then they've had to pay it on a credit card. So they're extending their uh, debt even further. How, they, how many other suppliers they're doing this to, who knows? It's difficult to judge. That feels like it introduces even more risk into the, the supply chain. It's certainly more risk to us. And the more that I see certain customers relying on credit cards every month, the more questions I have is to their stability and whether they can fully fund their credit card uh, and you know, pay their bills. Um, some of our debtors not only pay by credit card, but their payments on credit card are starting to stretch even further. So they're not even paying on time, but paying by credit card. So are they able to pay their credit card? Yeah, in, in a in a financial services setting, you wouldn't you wouldn't really accept that, would you? No, um, that that would start waving red flags everywhere. So what what's what do you think the actual cost of failure is? Um, the, so so failing to adhere to to the prompt payment code, what what's at stake? Uh, the prompt payment code, I believe, is excellent and it should be there. But I think rather than voluntary, it should be a standard that everyone has to apply to. Um, we have accounting standards. We should really have payment standards. Um, it's difficult when you can see the legitimate reason why business would say, I'm not going to sign up to that because I want to negotiate my own payment terms with suppliers. That's fine. And even our payment late payment regulations stipulate that it's based on what terms you've agreed with a customer and a supplier as to when something becomes overdue and when fees are applied. But to have a prompt payment code of so many days, I think it might be a bit too far because everyone's an optimist in business. You know, I'm going to make money. This is a great opportunity. I want to do this and make a profit. Fabulous. But when things start to slip and people can't pay, then that optimism starts to get a bit dragged out and then other people are going to lose out. If a business goes under, then obviously there's going to be suppliers and employees that lose out. Um, the knock-on effects could be huge. We have probably 600 to 1,000 active accounts at any one time. And if a big one goes, we might have insurance that covers that. But a lot of the small ones go, we won't have insurance that will cover the small ones. But if you have 10, 20, 30 that all go under, all owing you a few thousand pounds here and there, then that's probably more than having one of your big customers go. I, I, I tended, I guess, to think of the supply chain as, as quite linear. But I guess somebody the size of Johnson Tiles, you are more like a node in a network. Yeah, well, I mean, especially having been here 120 odd years now, um, we've seen a lot of recessions over that, uh, that century. And um, we'll probably hopefully see a lot more, um, providing that you know, we can carry on business. And I'm sure we will. But it's all a balance, balance between sales, balance between purchasing, and balance between our customers being able to pay on time. And as soon as that starts to get more fragmented and people aren't able to keep up with that, that payment process, 
um, with the agreement of the, whoever's supplying, then it starts to fall down. Um, and I do think that that communication needs to be up front. There's an adage that I've heard before where it says it's easier to get, um, you know, to say sorry for something rather than to get an approval to do something. And the same applies with debt. I'd much rather customers come to me and say, I can't pay you on time this month. I'll pay you the week later. Okay, I'll work with you. But if you just don't pay for a week, and then two weeks, then three weeks, and stop talking to me, then I'm going to fear the worst. We, we see exactly the same in, in personal debt, where I think at the start, there's a sense of optimism. And of course, as the optimism wanes, there's the, the feeling of the loss of control. And that tends to bring with it shame and guilt. And that leads to the to the not engaging with the process. And mm. um, I, I, I guess there's, there's the bullish optimism of if I can just get the next sale, I can just get the next sale, then I can pay those bills and carry on. Mm. But you're actually di driving deeper and deeper into debt and potentially dragging more people down with you. And you've got the risk in the supply chain of not really knowing how the directors and, and senior managers of a business are running that business. Are they, you know, over trading? Are they, you know, stretching themselves so thin that they're having to rely on payments from one particular contract to fill, fill the obligations of another contract? So they're never really catching up enough to be in a solvent position. And that, that, that brings, I guess, to into play, you know, your customer, yeah. um, which in, in, again, in, in the, the financial services world, especially on the debt side is, is a, is a critical factor to success. Absolutely. And knowing your customer, it's not just, you know, knowing what entity you're dealing with. Is it a sole trader? Is it a limited company? Who are you, you know, corresponding with? Where are they, et cetera? It's knowing about them and how they operate and knowing their, their way of thinking really in, in how they work. I won't name names, but there's certain customers that we have where I regularly see CCJs go against them. These are big national companies. They have CCJs, they're winding up petitions on a regular basis. And obviously their credit report fluctuates like the wind, um, but they don't seem bothered. They will take it right to the letter and then pay whatever they need to pay. When I worked for the tax office, we had certain customers that would never pay until they got a, a letter with a loathing address on the back. And the reason was that's where our enforcement and insolvency service was. And so people knew once they got the letter from Worthing, that was the time that they had to pay. Mm. Um, I mean, look, I'm going, I'm going back decades now. So it's, it's, it's obviously changed a lot, but, but it, it, that was really what got us thinking about segmentation and differentiated treatment paths. Because mm. once you can identify that cohort, you just send them a letter from Worthing straight away yeah. and and you, you skip all the other bits of the process because that's what's going to prompt them to, to pay. Yeah, with my customer base, I tend to operate on, on a yeah, bespoke basis. Um, I will treat them as I feel that they need to be treated. If I've got a customer that always goes to the, the, uh, the, the next level in terms of delaying and excuses, then I will treat them harsher and more promptly than someone who I know will pay, even if they are struggling from time to time. I don't go through um, a strict letter process, as a lot of people probably hearing this will go, ah, you're not going through uh, a proper chain of letters for chasing debt. Well, no, because as you said, customers, even companies, will receive these and go, that's stage one, that's stage two, I'll wait till stage four, come along before I start paying. Some of them will wait till stage four before they even look at the invoices. 
and they might have the same uh, financial controller that I had, we've been told, now you can look at it and see whether you can pay it or not. When, what do you think drives that behaviour, Andy? Is there, is there something, I don't know. I don't know whether it's um, a desire, it might be the desire or a necessity for smaller businesses in terms of their cash flow. So they will not part with the money until they absolutely have to because they've got so many people chasing them. Bigger organisations, I really don't know. I don't understand why they would do that. Again, some organisations might not have the finances or it might be the individual, either a manager or a senior person who thinks they're making a name for themselves by withholding payments to a certain degree, keeping that capital within the business as much as they possibly can. And, I mean, under, under the Companies Act, directors are, are obliged to act in the interests of the business. And so acting in a way that potentially drives away your suppliers and or your, your clients is, is not going to be helpful, right? No, um, but I've also seen one example I can remember where having a debt build up, a customer then approach and say, what sort of settlement discount can I have for paying this all off now? You've built up the debt. There is no settlement discount. You've not paid us early. In fact, you've paid us many months late and now you're asking for a settlement discount. But some people will go for it. You know, they want to just get that debt and move on. That, that, that almost feels like a carryover from, from personal debt. Where debts were factored, where they were purchased and maybe, maybe the, the whole debt book was factored at a, a price of 40% of the total value then the companies that were then pursuing that debt could afford to collect less because they've only paid 40% on average for, for the actual debt. And so there would be full of final settlements. And that, that you used to see an awful lot in, in, the, in the private debt market, in the personal debt market. I wonder if there's that, again, that correlation of people doing in business what they also do in their personal life. It may be, and it may be that those individuals that are employed in these roles have had a previous career in a, a business which was a factoring business. So they've got that thinking, that, that ethos. In the same way that, you know, I've brought ideas and ways of working into this role from other sectors and other, other industries that I've worked in before. Some work, some don't. Uh, and you very quickly uh, realise, you know, why they don't in particular industries. What can we do about all this? What, what sort of practical steps can we take to improve the situations, you think? I think generally, we need to start having a conversation about debt, which is not siloed into the different types of debt, personal debt, you know, business debt. Are we always you know, beating big business in not paying their bills? It's not always big business that's not paying their bills. As I said, we've got several hundred customers active at any one time. A lot of the big businesses will pay me when I expect, despite a few disputes here and there, but they'll pay. And now we have a, a, a plethora of smaller businesses. I can't predict accurately enough yet to say that all of these people are going to pay us on the name. The list of overdues each month is getting longer and longer with smaller businesses. Each one may be owing a few thousand pounds. So obviously when you prioritize debt to chase, you're dealing with the bigger ones first. Um, but when you've got 20, 30, 40, 50 customers, of 5,000 and less, then that's a sizable chunk of money, but I haven't got the time to deal with that. Um, so it's not always big business that's the culprit. We need to look at 
depth generally and the way we think about things and stop you know looking at different ways to treat you know a personal and a business debt one of the things that we we take a, a, a lot of interest in at both Aram and Just is behavioural insights. And we've been looking recently at the, the, the fast and slow thinking um, that people do. So some some is, is very irrational, very um, emotion driven and, and other is, uh, is very considered. But there was a there was a paper um, that goes back a few years called um, Clouds Make Nerds Look Good. And just just to, to, to as a, a very brief sort of summary of it, it was effectively you could take two candidates for college applications. You go a week apart, and one day it's sunny, and have exactly the same interview, exactly the same grades, and then one goes a week later and it's cloudy. And actually, on cloudy days, admissions officers think about um, more about the academic stats, than, and on sunny days, they think more about sports and 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 other. And so, but there's also all of the other stuff that goes on in that person's life. Like you know, they, they might may just have had an argument with their partner, um, they may have had a massive bill land, and all of that stuff impacts. And it's about how how do you try and drive out the same decision in every case rather than allow all those factors to play into it. And I think there's, there's, there's something around the behavioral insights based on, on um, people's individual lives affecting their decisions in business. Absolutely, and it's borne out, uh, certainly within our customer base, the number of individuals, um, directors of businesses that, um, one in particular I can think of, which did uh, go into administration and from what I've seen on you know, social media, he seemed to have spent a lot of money on fast cars and uh, other activities. Now, whether he was paying himself handsomely out of the business that went under or siphoning it from the business, who knows? And we've seen you know, even bigger businesses going back to Carillion, where you know, things were masked uh, enough to uh, fall auditors over a, a lengthy period of time. Just, just trying to think again about how how people can can take practical steps. Um, a, a, a payment terms a bit of an afterthought for some people. Yes, and um, I think the interpretation of payment terms as well. Sometimes, um, again, going back to previous uh, positions I've worked in, I try to you know, say to salespeople that we'd prefer certain payment terms, X number of days, and. Um, I had one salesman come to me quite proud. I've achieved this. It's on the terms that you wanted, you know, 60 days, whatever. And when I looked at the contract, it was 60 days, end of the month, following the second month after delivery. So it ended up being almost 120 days. And I said, well, that's not 60 days. But the wording of it, it was quite spot on in terms of trying to extend it as much as possible. There's also a few things you said today around knowing your customer and working together, finding solutions. Those all featured really heavily in a behavioural insights report that Ofgem did um, about improving debt communications. And, and it's, it's that, that feeling of, of I think there are, there are three parts of, of the Mindspace framework that come into play here. There's, ego reciprocity and there's messenger and when you use terms like work together find solutions this makes you come across to that person as a better messenger you're, you're not going in really hard and harsh at the first instance 
And in, in terms of, of reciprocity, it makes people want to generally, you know, not, not everybody, of course, but for most people, it makes them want to, to, to give back in the same way that you're treating them. Mm. And the ego bit comes in because people generally try to do or prefer to do things that make them feel good about themselves. Yeah. When I'm dealing with um, overdue debts uh, here, uh, I tend to set out uh, my stall uh, in my communication with customers by saying, this is what's there. Um, clearly point out that they're overdue. These are the agreed terms um, and set out options for them that they have, then have to choose. One, they have to acknowledge the debt, um, but also you know, choose which option they want to go along. Pay now, no penalty, or pay within a certain deadline, but you're going to be charged interest and fees. Um, don't pay at all, you'll get legal action and um, that'll be the end of your account on a credit term. Um, so which one do you want to choose? Put it in their court as to whether they believe that their business is viable enough to continue a working relationship and actually work with me or say, you know what, do your worst. That that takes me back to, uh, again, there's the, the definition of insolvency, which is if you cannot pay on demand a debt which is due with cash or assets, then you are insolvent. Mm. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of businesses that are technically insolvent. Yeah. Coming out of COVID, there were probably a lot of businesses that on paper were were insolvent. Now, whether they could recover that because some of the government schemes was another matter. But um, it, again, it's more risk into the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of risks. Um, you've got the way that the economy is going generally. Uh, I mean, by nature of our business, we're dealing with the construction industry and uh, DIY. Um, so it's whether there is the appetite in the economy to have new builds. You know, how much, you know, is it going to sustain itself? Is it sustainable? Are we going to see a bit more of a crash? Um, predictions out there are varied at the moment, so it's a wait and see game. I wonder, I mean, just again, thinking about the, um, the, the, the overlap between personal and, and business debt, whether, whether you're seeing any sort of impacts broadly of, of the cost of living on, on your customer base. Um, it's difficult to tell uh, our uh, sort of side of things. Um, I know that the, some of the smaller ones, the one-man bands, are struggling, uh, and, and we've seen evidence of that. And, and through people, when we uh, discuss the debt situation with them, are saying, I just can't pay you at the moment um, because of whatever in their personal life. You try and work with them if the best you can. Uh, I see no sense in throwing good money after bad. If it's going to be a bad debt, it's a bad debt. What's the sense of employing a solicitor or whatever to go the legal channel and just rack up more debts you're not going to recover? Um, and to put that extra burden on a debtor is a difficult situation, even a business debtor. Um, I just don't see the sense unless you really have to, uh, in which case you are looking at probably insolvency winding up um, situation rather than going through a CCJ. We think exactly the same in, in the, the sort of the pure debt world about, and this is why I know your customer is so important, but about making sure you take the right action at the right time. So for example, sheep, sheep dipping everyone through to enforcement action, um, AKA bailiffs, um, it, it, sheep dipping everyone through to enforcement is, is never the right thing to do just because it's the next step in a linear process. 
because it will add fees, which will detract from some people's ability to pay the principal debt back. Yeah. And so you're actually taking an action that makes it less likely that you'll get paid. Absolutely. And I have to, at times, you know, go to my directors and say, this is my recommendation of action, even though they might be saying to me, no, take them to court, chase the debt, blah, de, blah, de, blah. Um, it's like, with all due respect, what's the point? You're not going to get it and you're going to cost yourself another two thousand pounds in fees um until it's really pointed out that yes there's an argument to say it's just not right they owe us money they need to pay it that's fine but if they cannot pay it what are you doing spending more money saying to them legally you need to pay this debt they know they need to pay this debt they just can't so can you work a better solution and that's a conversation I think we all need to have, and we need to be more open about debt and money generally. Um, right from the word go, you know, education, you know, money and debt has always been very secretive. You know, don't talk about that. You know, it'll be okay. That sort of mentality. Well, it's not. We need to be more open about it and, and talk about what we need, both personal and business, and, and find better working solutions. And I suppose to a certain degree, you've got the, um, the sensitive, sensitivity nature you've got commercial interest uh, sensitivity uh, and personal sensitivity as well we don't go around blabbing you know certain financial data uh, even in families probably less so in families than uh, we should um, but those sorts of things are very hidden uh, in our culture and that's another thing that we need to sort of take into account in terms of the debtor the culture of that person where they've come from their background um, in the world that we are now, we tend to still think ourselves as a very Anglo-Saxon country. We're not. You know, we're very, bi uh, very diverse now. And those diversity is great. It brings a lot of different uh, ways of working and thinking. And we need to consider that in terms of how we treat a debtor. So I, I think one of the other things I've spoken about over, over the years, and I've, I think we've sort of come to today as well, is the, the fact that we need a more level playing field. So you've got all these different rules and actually from the point of view of somebody in debt, that makes it incredibly difficult to get out where they, they are multiple people because they, they <clears throat> haven't got a, a smooth journey out. It does. And that's where, you know, agencies such as Citizens Advice and et cetera, come in and are very valuable and uh, are needed out there. Um, but there does need to be a, a better conversation between all these major parties as to what's the best course of action and whether we can standardise that approach in, in the way that they deal with people in debt um, and be more open to have people, I don't suppose there are many at the moment, but they need to be more open to people to come to them and say, I'm struggling, I want to work it out, but I need help and I need your agreement to reschedule this debt over a period of time. It's not understanding, you know, waving a piece of plastic or your phone over a device to, to purchase something is, is very easy. And we've become this culture of, of instant gratification, even in the business world. You know, we have customers phone up saying, I want you know, these tiles and want them tomorrow. So we're not uh, Amazon. We don't. <laughs> we don't guarantee a, a delivery drop, you know, first thing in the morning or between certain times of the day. It's you know, these drones flying. Up yeah. So um, there is that culture generally out there of instant gratification in, in purchasing. But also, it's not just, oh, you've racked up this debt by spending. We do need, again, you know, with all the 
you know, the look at mental health and mental well-being. We are complex people, complex beings. Yes, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, it's that people are messy and complicated and don't fit into the neat little rules that we expect them to. Yeah. Andy Higgins, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I hope you found it as fascinating as I did. If you want to hear more great content from Aram and Just, then please subscribe on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts, or follow us on LinkedIn so that we can let you know when the next one is out. Until then, if you'd like to discuss any of the issues that were raised in this podcast, then please get in touch with me either on LinkedIn or drop me an email to stephen.coppard at aram.co.uk. Once again, my thanks to Andy Hignett and Johnson Tiles for investing the time to talk to us and goodbye for now.